0: All right. Grab a Bible. You're going to need it. Um, I say that every week because guess what? Every week you're going to need it. So the main reason for that is because I want to make sure that you always know that it's God's word that we're here for, not David's word. And I want you to leave with his word in your hand, not my word in your hand. So you have the ability then, because you're carrying it, to take it to other people. So that is the win for me. I, I want to see you excited about God's Word. I appreciate it if you like me, but I don't care that much about that. So um, turn to Ezekiel. That's where we're going to be today. We're in. The, it's about the 25th book somewhere in there. It's after Psalms. It's a big book. So if you shoot for the middle and start heading to the right, you'll probably come to it pretty quick. And uh, Ezekiel, um, well, let's back up. Real quick, you know the story, all right? So we've been following the story of God, so let's come through it really, really fast. We've been doing this for over a year now, so it's a, it's a lot to cover, but the cool thing is you've got a Bible. So it's right there. Go back and reread it in your own time. But in the beginning, God created all things. He was before all things. He made all things, the world and everything in it. He created Adam. He created Eve. He made them perfect. He put them in uh, on this earth to... Uh, take charge of this earth to rule this earth to care for this earth but adam and eve instead chose uh, to make it their own kingdom not to rule under his authority but to make this place their own and when they did sin entered the world sin entered the world and it entered into everything and what came with that death right so death enters all things but god promised eve even in that very first moment in genesis 3:15, third chapter of the bible even that early, he promised, there would be a child of Eve, a seed of Eve that would right all of the wrong, that would, that would restore all of the death, that would bring back life, that would do all of those things. And throughout the Bible, as we're following the story, we're following the story of this seed. And this continued hope. And the more we read, and the more we follow history down, the more details we start to get about this person. The more we start to see what this person's going to look like, and what what he's going to do, and all this stuff. And so we've been following that story. God carried that seed from descendant to descendant to descendant until we came to the flood, and He wiped out the whole earth except for uh, one family who He carried that through that seed through noah and then on the other side of the flood as the world began to grow and restore that seed continues to go down until it comes to abraham and then abraham has a son isaac who the seed goes to and then isaac has 12 sons who are the who Tribes of Israel, yep, they become, Jacob's name's changed to Israel, so the 12 tribes of Israel, or the 12 sons of the man Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel, that they grew, those, you can imagine, 12 families grew and grew and grew until they became a nation, the nation of Israel. And that seed is still within the nation of Israel. In fact, it goes to Judah. We haven't gotten into all of that yet, but it goes to Judah, and it continues to move. And then God The people of of Israel find themselves enslaved in Egypt. God sends who? Moses, right? Thank you. Moses to pull the people back out and deliver them and return them to a land. And he brings them into that land. And it's not actually Moses who brings them in, although Moses does do an amazing thing. Moses brings them out, and Moses introduces them to God in the wilderness. In fact, God gives them through Moses. What does God give them in the wilderness? The law. The law. Yeah, and we hate law, but it's a great thing. It's a great gift. One of the coolest things I've ever heard about that is how cool is it that the people who followed God knew what he cared about? Think about that a minute. What other faith can say that? Like he gave you, here's what matters to me. Had it written down. You know, so he gives it to them. They have that. They go into the land. Joshua leads them into the land. And then in the land, they go through this repetitive cycle over and over and over of being obedient to the God who brought them there and worshiping him. But then being disobedient, obedient and disobedient, obedient and disobedient. God raises these judges up to kind of help rule and govern them. But they continue the cycle. And then God raises up kings for them. Arguably the greatest of those was David. David's son, Solomon uh is charged by David and God to do what? What did Solomon do that was incredibly significant? You know, built a temple. That's right. Man, we're locked in, bro. You and me. Let's go. I love it. Build the temple. So he builds the temple in Israel, this massive, amazing spectacle of a place, of a temple. And that's a place, what I said earlier, where all people can come, a house of prayer. All right? So here we have the people of Israel there. They have the temple. The kings are coming and going, and the kings are – some are good and some are rotten. Uh, but right after Solomon's death, the people split. The kingdom divides into north and south. They have a bit of a civil war. Ten tribes in the north stand on their own ground and call themselves Israel. And two tribes in the south, uh, where Jerusalem is, call themselves Judah, Judah, or Judea ultimately, but Judah. So that's what we have, is these two things. And I got a map of the split. It happened in 975 BC. And you can see Judah in the bottom and Israel in the top. That's the way the split happened in 975. Uh, BC, we know this, it historically occurred. Uh, shortly after that, the northern kingdom was conquered and scattered by Assyria in 722. So, 722, Assyria, there you go, you can see where it says Jerusalem and Samaria. Assyria conquers everything. Uh, including the northern ten tribes, and they scatter those tribes all over the place. They scatter them into everywhere you see shade. They were scattered. But as you notice, Jerusalem is not, that area is not shaded. That's because God protected Judah, and Judah didn't get conquered by Assyria. Um, but in five, by 586 BC, Babylon was the boss. Babylon had conquered Assyria, and Babylon comes and conquers Jerusalem and destroys Judah and all of that and takes them captive. So that's a lot, but that brings us to where we are, all right? So now you know where we are in history and with Ezekiel, and I'll come back to it in a minute. But our title for today is The Dead Living. So turn to Ezekiel 37. If you're not already there, I know I said it was Ezekiel. I don't think I told you what chapter. So chapter 37 and uh let me read just the first few verses here it says the hand of the lord was upon me and he brought me out in the spirit of the lord and set me down in the middle of the valley it was full of bones and he led me around among them behold there were very many on the surface of the valley and behold they were very dry and he said to me son of man can these bones live and i answered uh, lord god you know let me pray lord thank you for your word Again, your word, not mine. Never going to be my word. It's always your word. Um, I always get encouraged by starting out thinking through the story again because it reminds me this is history. It occurred. We have dates. Um, it, it happened. It's not just a fairy tale book, it's events that occurred, and these lives paint pictures of who you are for us to follow. And I pray your word is glorified through everything that comes out of my mouth, and at no point is it glorifying me. I love you, Lord, to ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So I remember my first uh, movie experience. I was actually thinking of it this week because I saw a little clip of the uh, the movie. But my first movie was a drive-in. It was before they had the indoor theaters, really. It was right about that time in Atlanta. And it was Smokey and the Bandit. And uh, a, another movie that had come out in 1963, but they were showing it again, called Jason and the Argonauts. Pretty crazy, like Sinbad type movie or whatever. Uh, but I love the end of it because they had these like skeleton soldiers that came up out of the ground. Like the, somebody threw like uh, dragon teeth on the ground like seeds and these skeleton soldiers come up. When I was a little boy, man. It was the coolest thing in the whole world. Uh, Claymation. None of our kids would be impressed today. You know what I mean? But, but that looks so dumb. But, yeah, I thought it was cool. Um, but. Today, people are much more entertained by less by skeletons and more by zombies. Zombies are like the, the thing. They have been the thing for a long time. The original uh, zombie movie was called White Zombie. It came out like 1930-something, 32, 33. But it was 1968 when the definitive zombie movie came out, the one that started every zombie craze since, and it was called The Night of the Living Dead. Uh, and that 's a pretty accurate description because they are looking pretty dead they 're coming out of the dirt out of a grave they 're you know got rot and bones showing and missing you know body parts and just they look like the dead for sure, walking them no heartbeat, no breath today we 're not looking at living dead we 're looking at dead living. The difference is epic the difference is epic. These that we're looking at today are fully alive. They have skin. They have eyes. They have a heartbeat, ultimately. They're breathing. What God's talking about, what we're looking at today, what God's talking about is not some fictional horror movie characters just freak you out. It's reality to give you hope. You know what I mean? But it's in a very powerful description. So you got one one statement I always put on your sheets. One statement. To help you remember or think if you take one thing away. God calls us to preach his word and to carry his spirit for the redemption of his people no matter how impossible it may seem. God calls us to preach his word and carry his spirit for the redemption of his people no matter how impossible it may seem. So first of all, what's happening with Ezekiel? Well, I gave you the story there a minute ago. But let me just point this out. In Genesis chapter 15, God had told Abraham. That he swore to Abraham unconditionally, I'm going to give you a people. I'm going to make of you a great nation and a land. I'm going to give you both. All right. And he did. But by the time the people come there, you can look it up in your own time in Leviticus chapter 18. As the people are with Moses in the wilderness and they're about to come into that land, God tells them, if, if you come onto my land, now you're my people, you're my nation, but if you come onto my land, and you don't obey and follow me, he says it a few times. The land will vomit you out. The land will vomit you out. And we, we would say, not in my house. That's how we'd say. You can come stay with me as long as you want. But if you keep messing around, not in my house. You know? So the land will vomit you out. So what ends up happening? Well, Ezekiel 36, you're right there. Look down at it. or I think it's on the board. Verse 18 says, so I, God, poured out my wrath upon them. For their blood that they had shed in the land. For the idols which which they defiled it. I scattered them among the nations. And they're dispersed through the countries. In accordance with their ways and their deeds. I, I judged them. So he did exactly that. We already talked about the ten tribes scattered to Assyria. But God in 605 BC. Historically. You can look it up. If you don't believe in the Bible. You can still look it up. It still happened. 605 BC. Nebuchadnezzar was king of Babylon. And he sent uh, an invasion into Jerusalem, and he took captives, and he set up a puppet king there in Jerusalem and left them to pay taxes. The peop- Among the people he took captive in 605 B.C., Daniel, which we'll talk about next week. All right? Years later, in, in 597, just a few years later in 597, they've refused to pay their taxes. They've started to rebel again, so Nebuchadnezzar comes back another time, attacks again, brings more slaves back to babylon and puts it down among those ezekiel so daniel is in babylon now ezekiel is brought to babylon with the second wave so when we're reading ezekiel he's writing to us from babylon all right and then in 586 which is what i put up there because that's the date most recognized by 586 they're are rebelling again and he says i'm done nebuchadnezzar comes back and flattens the whole city That beautiful temple that Solomon built, he destroys it, levels it, it puts it on the ground, burns the city down, uh, and takes everybody captive that he doesn't consider worthless. So I would have been one of the ones left behind. I can tell you that right now. You know what I'm saying? If if you were a a junkie, if you were, you know, in his mind, if you were homeless, if you were worthless, you're staying behind. But everybody else is coming. Now, among those left behind... I don't know that he was worthless, but it's what God ordained. Among those left behind in Jerusalem was Jeremiah. So Jeremiah writes his letters from Jerusalem. uh, And Ezekiel at the same time is in Babylon writing. And Daniel's in Babylon as well. Ezekiel is among the people. Daniel is in the palace. He got given a job working for the king as a slave so we'll get to daniel later but that's where ezekiel is so the question though is is it over for israel like is it done is that it are we finished you know does god still have a plan for him well ezekiel or jeremiah had said in 70 years he'll come back and bring you home but if you're one of them it's got to feel pretty rough you know what i mean i mean the home's been burned to the ground even if there is a home so look at chapter 1, chapter, chapter 37, verse 1. Let's roll through this quickly. It says, the Lord, the hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord, and he set me down in the middle of the valley. Ezekiel's telling this is what this is what happened. It's full of bones. And he led me around among them, and behold, there were m- very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. So picture it. I mean, this is, this is poetic, not poetic, but uh, picturesque language. The hand of God was on me. Like he put his hand around me, grabbed me up, but yet they kind of moved to this valley. I don't know how you see that in your mind, but were they flying? Were they, you know, I don't know what that looks like. Obviously, this is a spiritual thing that's occurring because it literally says in the spirit of the Lord. So he's expressing that and he brought me and he set me down in this valley. It's full of bones. So obviously this is not a real place, but he's trying to tell him something he sets them down and the bones, what does it say? The bones are, there's very many, perhaps millions, don't know. But very many scattered everywhere. Very dry. What does that imply? Very long time. Those bones have been laying there in that sun for a very long time. All right? And it says in verse 3, Son of man, God said, can these bones live? And I, Ezekiel, I answered, oh, oh Lord God, you know, basically means, I, I I, don't know. I mean, you know, you're God, you tell me. That's basically what it means. Great answer, by the way. Verse 4. Then he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, oh, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Now, that's a great statement right there. He didn't say, get up. He didn't say, uh, I command you, blah, blah, blah. In the name of God, I command these bones. He didn't say none of that. He said, hear the word of the Lord. Man, do you know how many arguments in your life can be avoided if you start with that? Like, let's pull open the Bible and hear the word of the Lord right here. And he says, thus says the Lord God to these bones. Behold, I'll cause breath to enter you and you shall live. And I'll lay sinews or tendons upon you and I'll cause flesh to come upon you and I'll cover you with skin and I'll put breath in you and you'll live and you'll know that I'm God. So verse five is like the plan here. This is what I want to do. I'm going to cause breath and you're going to live. Verse six is the process. Here's how it's going to happen. And the end of verse six there is kind of the final state. What's the result? You're going to know God. Which implies at present. They do not. At present, they don't know him like they think they know him. All right. Verse 7. So I prophesied. Prophesy, by the way, and you ought to be able to see it clearly here. It's a twisted word in our in our in our times. It's a very twisted word. It only ever meant, thus says the Lord. That's all it ever meant. Anybody who was a prophet just spoke what God. God's word. That's all they ever spoke. Period. They didn't have the Bible like we had it. So they, God is speaking through them. But they did have biblical texts. And they did reference biblical texts a lot. They had other books. So when he's saying I prophesied. He's just preaching. That's all it means. He's just proclaiming. I'm just speaking to the bones the word of God. Here's what God said. I'm speaking it to you. And he said "And as I prophesied or spoke the word of God. There was a sound. And a, a rattling and the bones came together, bone to his bone. I mean, picture this is like CGI all day, you know, pat, pat, pat. the bones are all coming together, snapping together. Maybe they were scattered all over the place. Maybe they weren't even together. Maybe the legs flying from way over there and hitting the hip way over here. I don't know. But if fly, bones are flying everywhere, rattling as they fly And it looked, and behold, there were... And then all of a sudden, the the bones, the skeletons are there, and it says the tendons grew on them, and then flesh came up on them, and and his skin covered the flesh. I mean, this is cool, right? But there was no breath in them. So they're standing there, fully human, fully human, but not breathing. Then he said to me, prophesy, speak, preach, proclaim to the breath... Son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and the breed on these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded, I preached as he commanded, and the breath came into them, and they lived, and they stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. You know, I I was a huge Pink Floyd fan back in the day, still like them, honestly, but they were my favorite forever. I saw them live in 94. To this day, one of the greatest experiences of my life. I was so into them. One of the Things they did that put them kind of on the map as being weird, to say the least, is they did a live concert in Pompeii. And I don't know if you know anything about Pompeii, but it's a, a city that was destroyed by a volcano, and the bodies were all buried in ash and stuff, and they're still there. So they went over and did a live concert for them. Now they had it filmed, so they made money. You know, it wasn't just like a side project. But they went and they played this concert for all the dead people. In Pompeii. Guess how many of those dead people came to life? (laughs) Zero. None. Changed nothing. They're all still there. Changed nothing. But when God gets involved, when God's word and his breath get involved, it changes everything. That word breath in Hebrew is the word ruach. It means spirit. It's both. It's breath and spirit. And if you go back throughout Genesis, especially in the beginning The very first thing we have is in the beginning, God created the heavens, the earth, heaven and the earth was void and without form and darkness over the face of the deep and the. Breath or spirit of God was hovering over the waters, the picture is the spirit, the breath of God was there in the beginning in chapter two of Genesis and verse seven, the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and he breathed into his nostrils the breath or the spirit of life. And the man became a living creature. So this is almost pointing all the way back to that. You have these men standing there, these people standing there, but they're not breathing. And God's spirit is what's missing. So here's the question Who are these dry bones? It's us, right? Believers, right? Modern worship songs will tell you that. That's one thing I love about our worship, that you guys pay attention really closely to what these words are saying. Modern worship will tell you it's uh, believers. That's what it's about. We're all the dry bones. Thank you, Lord, for the Holy Spirit saving us and all that. Paul does say we're dead in our sins. Doubt a doubt, No question. Paul does say we were dead in our sins and trespasses, and he made us alive. That is a fact. But this is not about us. Not about us. But I know it's a vision, right? It's a vision. So it's open to interpretation. You, You could say, well, that's how you see it, David. But I'll tell you how I see it. Uh, yeah, it is open to interpretation. The interpretation that God intended. You know what I mean? You feel me, don't you? The interpretation that God intended. God's trying to communicate a message here. If he's not, it's an ink blot test. Tell me what you see. When I hold this blot up, what do you see? That doesn't help anybody. That's just abstract thought. That doesn't do any good for anybody. God's trying to communicate something. If he's trying to communicate something, then it has to mean something. And you need to interpret what it means and then what he's trying to communicate. And the fact is, if you look at the context, you can look at the chapters before. You can look at this chapter. You can look at the chapters after. He's making a point, the same point, and he's repeating that point over and over. And he actually tells us who it is. Look at verse 11. Then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Tells you, plain as day. Behold, they, the whole house of Israel, say, our bones are dried up, our hopes lost, we are cut off. To feel like God has officially cut them off. They're gone. They're done. And the whole house, why I say the whole house, well, some like to say, well, that means, you know, Jews, Gentiles, that means all of us. But that's not what he's talking about. Northern kingdom, southern kingdom, both have been exiled. He's talking about not just Judah, all of them, all of them feeling like they are cut off, lost indeed. In fact, in the same chapter, look at verse 16. He gives another story. We won't go into this whole one, but just look what he's saying. Here's another example. Son of man, take a stick, write on it for Judah and the people of Israel associated with him. That would be the southern kingdom. Take another stick, write on it for Joseph, the stick of Ephraim. That's the another term for Israel in the north. And all the house of Israel associated with him. Join them together into one stick that they may become one in your hand. He's saying take the sticks and put the two together and hold your hand over the seam so that they appear as one stick. Verse 21, then say to them, thus says the Lord God, behold, I'll take the people of Israel from the nations among which they have gone. I'll gather them from all around and I'll bring them into their own land and I'll make them one nation in this land on the mountains of Israel. Nothing figurative about that. That's very matter of fact. And one king will be king over them all and they shall no longer be two nations, no longer divided into two kingdoms. I could show you. Countless dozens of prophecies in the Bible that say this is going to occur. I'll give you one more um, of somebody we already studied. Hosea had already said this. Hosea chapter 3 verse 4. Hosea says this. uh, For the children of Israel shall dwell many days without a king or a prince, without sacrifice or pillar, which means the temple will be gone. Without ephod or household gods, basically meaning they'll have no uh, priest and no household gods either. Afterwards, the children of Israel shall return though and seek the Lord their God and David their king and they shall come in fear to the Lord and to the goodness, to his goodness in what? The latter days. So it's talking about a time far off. Look back in Ezekiel 37 verse 12. Back in Ezekiel 37 verse 12. It says, therefore, Back into the bones. Therefore, Ezekiel prophesied. Say to them, the bones, the whole house of Israel. Say to them, thus says the Lord God, behold, I'll open your graves and I'll raise you from your graves, O my people. I'll bring you into the land of Israel and you shall know that I'm the Lord when I open your graves and I raise you from your graves, O my people. And I will put my spirit within you and you shall live and I'll place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I'm the Lord, I've spoken, I'll do it, declares the Lord. Notice how many things God says, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. What's Ezekiel responsible for doing here? Preach. That's it. So I prophesied as I was commanded, he says. That's it. So when did this happen? Here's the question. When did this get fulfilled? You know Jeremiah said they were coming back from Babylon after seventy years, and they did history tells us they came back after seventy years and started rebuilding but even at, even years later, centuries later when Jesus was born, they still weren't one nation. in fact, I think I got a map of it too uh, you have in the south, you have Judea in the middle, you have Samaria. And in the north, you have Galilee. And the people in Galilee, other than Jesus, this is part of what made him so scandalous. The people in Galilee who wanted to go to Judea would actually go all the way across the river and go all the way around Samaria because they felt like Samaritans were half-breed. They were racist as can be. We have nothing to do with those dirty people. So they would walk all the way around back and forth so they didn't even step on the dirty, filthy land. So, so, there's no, so when Jesus talks about the Good Samaritan, for instance, that's a big deal. But that's another story. Point being, that was not fulfilled when they came back. It's still divided. But, but, listen to me. This prophecy started with Christ. All the same, it started with Christ. And I'll show you. John chapter 6, you can just make notes of these. Verse 63. Jesus, when he was here, he preached. He said, it is the spirit or the breath who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words or God's word that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. You see what he's saying? He's almost pointing back and he's saying, I'm preaching the word of God and the spirit of God is what's going to bring life breath. That's it. John three, back when he's talking to Nicodemus in verse five, he says, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. The spirit has to bring birth. He's talking about this birth that that. Ezekiel was talking about of this spirit coming in and bringing life. He was referring to, for instance, Ezekiel 36, verse 25. Make a note of this one. This is the new covenant. He said, I'll sprinkle Ezekiel talking about it, speaking for God. God says, I'll sprinkle clean water on you and you'll be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols. And I'll cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. I'll put within you. I'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh and I'll give you a heart of flesh. And I'll put my spirit within you and I'll cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Jesus directly referred to that at the Last Supper. In Luke 22, verse 20, after taking the cup and eating it, he said, this is the cup that is poured out for you is a new covenant in my blood. He's saying that new covenant, that covenant that Ezekiel promised, I'm bringing that covenant. Meaning? In my blood, in my sacrifice, Christ is saying, the spirit will indwell you. Just like what was promised through Ezekiel. The spirit will fill you. He says, we're starting to, and the breath came, didn't it? Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, verse 2. The disciples, after Jesus' death and resurrection, the disciples are uh, hiding out. And it says, and suddenly there came from heaven, a sound like a mighty rushing wind it filled the entire house where they're sitting and divided tongues as a fire appeared over them and rested over each one. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak in other tongues so the spirit gave them utterance. So the spirit literally comes and it indwells them. It fills them just like God said it would happen. Just like he said it with Ezekiel. But something different here. Something unexpected. It happened to Jews. Jesus was a Jew. The disciples were Jews. It happened to them. It happened in Jerusalem. It happened. But what did God say? What did Jesus say? Matthew twenty-eight nineteen. Go into all the world and make disciples. So instead of the breath, rather than coming from the four winds, it came from heaven. And then he sent it to the four winds. He sent it. To the four winds is four corners of the earth. That's just the way they said it back then. We would say the four corners of the earth. The earth don't have four corners. But what do we mean? North, south, east, west. So that's all he's talking about. The whole earth. Going to all the earth. So here when he's saying the four winds, it's the same thing. Go to the... He sent the breath to the four winds instead. But Ezekiel was told to preach to the four winds, and, or preach to the breath the Spirit, and call him from the four winds. So should we preach to the Holy Spirit? Should we, like, call the Holy Spirit? Well, we pray, certainly pray to him. And we preach to those he indwells. And we, when I say preach, I'm talking all of us. I'm not talking about me as a preacher. I'm talking about all of us. We, We proclaim to those he indwells, and we ask God to send them. This is what we do. Jesus said the same thing, Luke chapter 10, verse 2. He said, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Watch this. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send laborers into his harvest. He's literally saying, pray to God and tell God to send. You know? So this is the same thing that Ezekiel's being told. Call to the Holy Spirit. Call to God. Tell him to send. But in his case... Send here. By the way, a little side note. Salvation has two parents, if you haven't figured this out yet. Salvation has two parents. The Word and the Spirit. The Word is the proclaiming. That's what we do as disciples. We proclaim His Word. We share His Word. We preach His Word. We tell people about His Word. We instruct them in His Word. That's what we do. But the other parent is an act of God. That's the Holy Spirit indwelling. Can't do that. Only God can do that. But they're both present. 1 Peter chapter 1. I'll give you a few verses and we're almost done here. 1 Peter 1 verse 23 says, Since you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding Word of God. Do you see that? He says, You've been born again through the Word of God. He's saying, Psalm 119, Old Testament, verse 25. My soul clings to the dust. Give me life according to your Word. Again, Your word gives life. Ephesians 5, Paul wrote in verse 26, that Christ might sanctify his church, us, his believers, having cleansed her, the church, by the washing of water with the word. It's a picture of how the word washes you like water. Now, Paul in Ephesians 1 also wrote in Jesus, in verse 13, in Jesus you also, when you heard the word of truth, when you heard it, The gospel of salvation. And you believed in him. So when you heard this and you believed in him, you were then sealed. It occurred to you. Happened to you. You were sealed by the promised Holy Spirit. One more. Titus chapter 3 verse 5. He, God, saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration. That's the word. That means born again. That's what regenerate. When we say born again, that's the word. By the washing of regeneration, the renewal of the Holy Spirit. So it's both things. It's both things. You know how many people in Israel are preaching this, the Old Testament right now? Losses can be. No idea who God is. think they do. But they don't. And I know this because I've been there. And I'm not throwing stones. I've been there. And I remember being on the Sea of Galilee. Uh, Molly was there. And we went to a church. Uh, that was Christians, Jewish Christians, and a Hebrew pastor that was preaching. I have this recorded. I had taken a little MP3 player and recorded it, and it's, it's amazing. It was long, but it was so awesome hearing him. He was going back and forth from English to Hebrew, preaching. And one of the things he challenged all of his congregation to do, and I don't remember how many were there, maybe 50, 60, I don't know. But he challenged them all. He said, call Let's all together, let's all together call for the breath from the four winds. That's what he kept saying. Let's call for the breath from the four winds. And he was saying, let's ask God to send his church from the four corners of the earth to come here to us. And preach the gospel. And maybe our people will repent. You would think Israel's most holy place on earth, right? No. No so lost and he said he was saying god send from the four winds send the breath to us from all over the world send your church your holy spirit within your church here to preach to us one of the reasons i like this story so much is because we are actually seeing this one happen this one is amazing And, and i've taught revelation, I've taught Daniel, we could talk about prophecy all day, I don't have time for that right now, but it's not hard to realize that we're seeing this happen right now in our time, these dry bones right in front of our eyes. In 127, listen to me, in 127 AD, so Jesus was dead in 33-ish AD, so in 127 AD, Rome erased Israel. They erased it. They started at the top and they systematically marched down and they said, we're done with the Jews. There will be no more Jews. There will be no more Israel. In fact, if you're not, if you're a Jew, you could leave now. If you don't, we're going to kill you. It's as simple as that. And they marched from the top of the nation to the bottom of the nation, erasing them. And they changed the name. From Israel to what? Palestine. Change the name. We're not even going to call it Israel anymore. In 127 A.D., it's going to be called Palestine from now on. And you're all out. You're all gone. You can't stay or you'll die. And that's it. And they did. They scattered them everywhere. Historical fact. You can look it up. Change the name to Palestine. Until World War II. Think about this now. Until World War II. That's the way it was. 1,800 years. Over 1,800 years. On, what, 19 nearly. That's, get your brain around that. That's how long there was no Israel on a map. It just said Palestine. Go back and look. Every map, they just said Palestine. In fact, you can go watch Indiana Jones movies. And when he's flying his plane, the plane's flying over the map, it says Palestine. It doesn't even I have commentaries at the house that say Palestine. The term Palestinian comes from the people who were there during those times. So it was changed by Rome in 127 for nearly 1900 years. There's no Israel on the map. But after the Holocaust, the United Nations gave it back to them and allowed them to go back home and turned it back into the nation of Israel. 1948, May 14th, it became a nation again. Can you even believe that? No other people group in all of known history has been scattered for even 500 years and come back as the same people in the same place. Never happened. 18, 1900 years and they're back. They're back, guys, in our lifetime. They're back. I would argue the bones are rising. Know what I'm saying? But they're not breathing. Where's the breath? Well, that's what this has. What does it have to do with me, Dave? pre story about Israel. What does it have to do with me? You're the, you carry the breath. If your faith is in Christ, you carry the breath. You have it. When He's calling for the four winds, He's calling for you. You know, one day they're gonna see Him. That's another story. But one day, very soon, they're going, the whole world's gonna see Him. But they're gonna see Him and they're gonna recognize who He is. In fact, look, we're finishing right here, Ezekiel thirty-seven. Look at verse six. What does it say? You shall live and you shall know that I'm the Lord. Verse 13. You shall know that I'm the Lord. Verse 14. You shall know that I'm the Lord. Translation. You're going to know that Jesus is Jehovah. One day you're going to see him. One day you're going to recognize he is our God. He is our God. In fact, Verse 27, last one here says, my dwelling place will be with them. I'll be with their God. I'll be their God and they'll be my people. Then, then at that time, the nations will know that I'm the Lord who sanctifies Israel when my sanctuary is in their midst forever. Then all of the nations are going to know because of what I've done through you that I am God. And I believe he's talking about Jesus there. Ezekiel's role was to prophesy. That's it. God's role was to produce the results. It's the same for us. Our responsibility is proclamation. His responsibility is the regeneration. That's the way that works. We may not see what Ezekiel saw here, but God's still bringing life from death, and it comes through preaching his word. And look, am I saying go to Israel? No. Maybe. I don't care what I'm Don't worry, don't worry about what I'm saying. What's God saying? God tell you go to Israel? Go. I'll help you get there. Uh, but you don't have to go there. Uh, we can make it about anybody. But if you want to keep it to Jews, guess what? There are a lot here. There are a lot here. You ever talk to a Jewish person? You ever done that? You ever take an interest in what they think about the Bible? Take a minute and do it. I will say this. Without a doubt, this salvation is the same whether it's for Jew or Gentile. So I can tell you this. Without taking from this text and to finish this up, I know what it feels like to be dry bones. I do know that. I do know what it feels like to feel like there is no more hope. I do know what it feels like to feel like I'm at the end. And y'all can come back up and we're going to do another song. I do know what that feels like. I do know what it feels like to not think there's any hope. I do know what it feels like. To think I can't ever breathe again. But one of my favorite verses. Jesus said. John 11. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me though he die. Yet shall he live. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. And then he said. Do you believe this? Most important question in the Bible. Let me pray. Lord, I, I thank you for today. I know we covered a lot. It was a little bit long, but there's a lot to cover um, in a short time. But the cool part is it's your word, so I pray we take it home, Lord, and we let it sink into our hearts. And God, I, I'm most moved here when I read this by the fact that your actions are to save, that you keep your word That even the those who seem impossible to save, you are not only able to save, willing to save, and active to save. Use us, Lord. Send us. Let us go. Whether it be to Israel or to Jewish people here or to anybody here. It doesn't have to be them. You called us to go to everywhere. We're still under the same charge to go to all the nations and take the gospel. And there's so many nations here. But Tempe is part of the nations. So help us reach Tempe. Lord, help us make disciples who love you. I pray if anybody's here today and they feel like that, their bones in a valley that's dried and forgotten, Lord, breathe life into them today. Let Let them turn their life to you in repentance and call upon you to save them today, Lord. I love you and ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen.